If you have a Bible in front of you, let's begin in Colossians chapter 2. And then we're going to flip over to Hebrews chapter 4 a little bit later. So we'll start out in Colossians 2, and then in a little bit we'll, we'll go to Hebrews chapter 4. You, Jim mentioned that guest card, information card, and the seat back in front of you. Uh, if you are one of our guests, we would be honored if you'd fill that out so we'd know how to follow up with you. A couple of other things you can do with that card, uh, other than, you know, make a origami or something like that. But uh, a couple of things you can do. If there's a way that we can be praying for your family, uh, you can put that in the plate and, and pass it around. If you know that you've never taken that step of baptism that you saw these men and women doing earlier, if you just write on that card, I need to talk to somebody about baptism, or frankly, just write, write the word baptism and put your, your name and information there and put that in the plate as it goes around at the end of the service. We want to be able to, to care for your family. If God's at work in your life in such a way that you say, you know what, before I ever get in that water, I need to get right with God. And I need someone to talk to. I need someone to pray with. We want you to be able to use that card uh, for that purpose. And so you'll have a chance, to, a chance to do that. Really quickly, before we jump into the sermon, let me tell you about a couple of things coming up this next week. I know we're right in the middle of this week, and we don't want to pass over too quickly. Uh, but a couple of things to be helpful for you next Sunday. Next Sunday, we have a Discover Emmaus lunch. If you've been visiting with us for a couple of weeks and you'd like to meet some staff or hear some more about what's happening at Emmaus, immediately after the worship service, there's a free, no-obligation lunch. Uh, but we'd love for you to stay and be a part of that if you'd like to know some more of what's happening. So that's coming up this Sunday. Uh, we'd love for you to do that. Also this coming Sunday, it, we're going to celebrate the educators, the teachers among us. There's going to be a gift available for every one of our educators or education support staff. Uh, so if you have a friend, a family member that's involved in education and church is not really their thing, but this would be a chance to invite them, it would be a great opportunity uh, to do that next Sunday as we celebrate educators and teachers and support staff. Also, I don't identify prophecy as one of my spiritual gifts, but I'm going to make a prophecy right now. Next week, two of you, two of you in here will be leading a preschool Sunday school class. You don't know that right now, but God is at work in your life in such a way that two of you next week are going to be leading a group of older ones, younger twos. When you do that, you're going to be caring for their parents, you're going to be ministering to the other preschool volunteers, and you're also going to prevent the pastor from bringing that red buggy and I'm going to fill it up with all those kids, and I'm going to come around to all the adult classrooms next Sunday morning with that red buggy full of kids. And when you see them crying, heartbroken because they need a teacher, let's see you tell them no at that point, yeah? All right? So that's the plan. That's the prophecy is next Sunday, two of you will be leading a preschool Sunday's class, and I can't wait to find out who those two people are going to be. So, No. We love, we love the investment you make in young parents. You don't know the investment you make and the impact you make in those kids' life, in those parents' lives. So here we go, Colossians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 16 through 23 like we have the other weeks before. Uh, I'm going to read off of the screen because I keep bringing the wrong translation. I have English Standard in front of me. I think New American Standard is what's up on the screen. Kids, you read the best you can out of that Bible that's right there in front of you. We're going to start in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16. Here's what it says. 
Therefore, can you guys bring those verses up on the screen if, if possible? Uh-oh, we've frozen up there. Well, you know what? We don't need a screen for God's word. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Then we're in verse 20 right now. Verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Father, as we have gathered this morning to celebrate the good news of Jesus through baptism, we've seen together. Here in a few minutes, we're going to go outside and spend time in community, just talking to one another, celebrating life, having a good time together. We worship together right now by coming before your word. And Father, we pray that you would speak to us in a way that we are able to understand but not just understand, but that you would change our hearts and change our minds and change our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so to understand where we are, it may be helpful if you got a copy of the bulletin to turn that over on the back, and there's some notes there, because we're in week four of a four-part series where we established week one. This is what Colossians chapter two, verses 16 to 23 is all about, and there were three main points there. No one can judge you based on past shadows. So we're not looking to the past in our lives to determine regulations, determine how to live. We're looking to Christ alone. No one can disqualify you based on their experiences. Life in Christ is not about elevating yourself to a higher spiritual experience. It's about growing deeper in the things of Christ. Third, no one can force you to live in fear under worldly power and rules. And I've used that illustration, that chalk line on the first and third base line, it doesn't hold spiritual power, whether you step on it or jump over it. Nothing of this world holds power over you. The only hope is found in Christ. That's it. On the basis of that, people can say, you mean I can do whatever I want? So I've been set free in Christ. I have hope. I have victory. I have salvation. I can live however I want. No, we're set free so that we can then live fully for Christ. Freedom from in order to give ourselves fully to Christ. What you find yourself having to do in the Christian life, and this is the real power of the Christian life, is how in this freedom in Christ do I live a spirit-led, word-based, God-centered life? How do I take that freedom I have and not use it for my own purposes, but use it to give myself fully to the Lord? And we establish there's kind of three parameters that I'll guide you through this. First is the word prescriptions. Maybe a better word would just be passages. What, what scriptures deal directly with the topic I'm, I'm handling? Patterns. What's the pattern in scripture? How does this kind of lead us on, on this journey? And then principles. What gospel lessons do we learn from scripture? 
even if the exact topic might be a little bit different. So we dealt with tattoos the first week. What does it mean to honor God with my body that, that everything that I put on my body or in my body or do with my body should be honoring to the Lord? Last week we talked about money, the idea of tithing. How do we understand that tradition, that part of scripture in relation to the Lord that everything I have is for him, but there's a pattern in scripture of setting aside money up front to return to the things of the Lord. And so we realize that in the New Testament, Jesus has paid our tithe, but that doesn't mean we reject the idea of giving, even the idea of the tithe that we learn from that. This week we come to the idea of Sabbath. Kids, last week we learned the word tithe. That was one part of 10. So you had those 10, or 10 dimes that you were given. One of those represented a tithe. This week is the word Sabbath. Sabbath means the seventh. If you take those B's in the middle of the word Sabbath and turn it into a V, most languages the letter B and the letter V are related anyway. So you substitute a V for a B and you can see where the word seventh comes from. So kids, if you hear someone talking about the Sabbath, it's the word that means seventh. And so what does it mean in scripture when we're called to honor the Sabbath, when we're called to keep the Sabbath? What does that mean? How do we work that out in our lives? Can I play sports on the Sabbath? Can I go to work on the Sabbath? What does it mean to understand the Sabbath as followers of Jesus? How do we unpack those things? That's what we're gonna deal with today. What does it mean here in verse 16? Open your Bibles or, or your uh, phones to verse 16 again in Colossians chapter two. Paul says there in Colossians two verse 16, if you're still, that's still in front of you, it's on the screen as well. It says no one is to act as your judge. No one is to make a judgment about your standing before the Lord based on food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Okay, first thing I wanna point out to you is it doesn't come across necessarily in this translation, but the word Sabbath there in the original language is plural. So it reads new moon, I mean festival or new moon or Sabbath. Some people will take that to mean that Paul's not referring to the Jewish Sabbath, he's not referring to the Old Testament, but when Paul is writing to this audience, it would have been virtually impossible for them to hear the word Sabbath and not think about the Old Testament law. There is something going on there because we see food and drink and we immediately think about the ordinances, the, the Old Testament law, and then we see Festivals, well, there were these different Jewish festivals, three primary ones throughout the year that they would take a part in. There was the new moon celebrations that we see laid out in different areas. And then there's this idea of Sabbath. So almost certainly, even though it's plural in the original there, it's still referring to what we would think of as the Sabbath. And then the whole idea in the Old Testament of Sabbath is very complex. There's a lot more going on. It's not just the seventh day of a week. Sabbath is also used in reference to the seventh year. And then it's even seven times seven to 49 plus one gets you to the idea of the 50 year jubilee. And so when we think about Sabbath, it's not just as simple in the Old Testament as here comes every seven days, I don't have to go to work. There's a lot more going on in the Old Testament in reference to the Sabbath. And so we wanna begin to unpack that there a little bit. Sabbath, if you didn't realize this already, is a pretty emotional, uh, contentious topic. How many of you, and this will date us a little bit, how many of you 
know the idea, remember living under the idea of blue laws. Blue laws means anything to you. So kids, blue laws is the idea that for a long time, most businesses were closed on Sunday. Uh, even, even today, car dealerships, uh, you can't go buy a car in Oklahoma on Sunday. You can see some cool cars outside, and you might be able to make a deal for one of those this afternoon, but uh, car dealerships are not open on Sunday. You're with your family on Sunday, and you're driving down the road. Oh, man, where should we stop for lunch? You see a red sign ahead. Oh, Chick-fil-A, that sounds so good. The parking lot's empty. This is the only time we've been to Chick-fil-A and nobody is here in line. Like, what a lucky day for us. And then you realize, oh, I love Chick-fil-A. I'm so proud they stand strong, and yet they're closed. And, um, I don't know if you've read, but the Atlanta Falcons, they open, they're opening up a new NFL stadium in, a, in Atlanta there, a huge new stadium. They place Chick-fil-A's in the stadium, and Chick-fil-A refuses to open on Sunday in that NFL stadium. So you're going to have this brand new billion-dollar stadium and in my book, anything that goes wrong with the Atlanta Falcons is a good day. Uh, so I am glad that they have Chick-fil-A that refuses to open for their NFL games. Uh, my neighbors brought by a couple of weeks ago this book they got in the mail. It's called National Sunday Law. I don't know if anyone's dropped off one of these in, in your mailbox, but it, it's a, a form of end-time scare tactic about how there's this huge conspiracy le- theory to create a Sunday law that's going to force everybody to take off on uh, Sunday, and it really is taking us away from the true Sabbath, and this is a sign that the world is coming to an end, and it's just packaged in this, this really uh, bad biblical worldview approach, but You'll see things like this. Probably my famous or my favorite Sabbath story is the story of Eric Liddell, who refused to run in the 1924 Paris Olympics. He was almost guaranteed to to win the hundred, and he pulled out because he was going to have to run on Sunday. But he entered the 400, and he ended up as the underdog in the 400, winning the gold medal in the 24 Olympic Games there in Paris because of his conviction that he wasn't going to run on Sunday. How do we understand this? All right, let's look at some verses in the Bible that deal with Sabbath. We're going to start in the Old Testament, and we're going to work our way through. Um, We're not going to be able to spend a lot of time on each one, but we're just kind of developing a a big, broad overview here. So Genesis 2. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Now, if you were here last week, you know we saw that the tithe was a concept that was developed in the book of Genesis. It began there with Abraham. With the idea of the Sabbath, you backed up even further. You're right there in the creation account. You see how God establishes that Sabbath. Exodus 16, the reason Exodus 16 is important is because it's happening before the giving of the Ten Commandments. Some people would say the Sabbath doesn't matter because it doesn't come until the Ten Commandments. Well, Genesis 2 and Exodus 16 would say otherwise. This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. You can find all kinds of examples of the Sabbath showing up there. Then you get the references in the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. That's the the fourth commandment. Then the commandments, the two commandments are repeated in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 5, 
Observe the Sabbath day, Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Now before we run too fast past the Ten Commandments, this isn't a Ten Commandments sermon series. We'll do that in, in the future sometime. But I want you to notice two things. The reference from Exodus ties back to the creation account. The reference from Deuteronomy ties back to, being, to the Exodus, to being rescued out of Egypt. And so what we find, and this is so important for understanding the Sabbath, is from the very beginning when God lays down his law for his people, he ties the Sabbath to creation and to redemption. So it's part of his created good world that everyone experiences, and it's also related to his special work of salvation, of drawing his people out in the exodus, of rescuing them from Egypt. So it's called both creation and rescue. Both of those are tied in with the idea of Sabbath. And as we understand Sabbath throughout Scripture, that is just, you cannot miss that foundational point of how this works. You keep going. The prophets will reference the Sabbath. Uh, Amos Eight, hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. What's going on in Amos? These people are keeping the Sabbath. They're not working. But their whole attitude on that day is, when will this day get over so we can go back to living our lives how we want to? This is the idea that Jesus attacks so much in the New Testament. People like the Pharisees who say, oh, I'll keep the law, but it never transforms the heart. I'll obey the rules, but outside those rules, I'll live however I want. The prophets are attacking that idea and saying, if you just understand the Sabbath as a day of rest and not as a day of transformation, you've missed the idea behind the Sabbath. What do you find when you get to the New Testament? You get to the New Testament and Jesus does some interesting things with the idea of the Sabbath. Luke 6, he says the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He's not controlled by the Sabbath. He's the Lord over the Sabbath. He is the one who established the Sabbath. And so it works for him, not against him. Luke 6, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm, to save life or to destroy it? The Pharisees, the opponents of Jesus, loved to catch him on the Sabbath doing something good like healing or helping someone, and they would try to use it against him. And Jesus would turn it right back around on them and say, no, you missed the point. Luke 13, the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. You can see the heart of the religious leader versus the approach of Jesus. So we find that idea in Amos carried over into Jesus' example that if you just keep the Sabbath for the purpose of keeping the Sabbath, you've missed the whole point of what God's trying to do. Because remember, Sabbath is tied to creation, and Sabbath is tied to Exodus. God's world and God's rescue, both of those are meant to hold together. Then you get into some really interesting, interesting verses. Why do we gather on Sunday and not Saturday? If the Sabbath is, is supposed to be Saturday, why do we gather on Sunday? Now, you may come from a Seventh-day Adventist tradition. You actually may be here this morning and think, you may be here this morning as a Seventh-day Adventist and think, how did I show up here on Sabbath day? But uh, 
whatever your background, this idea of should we meet on Saturday, should we meet on Sunday is tied into the understanding of the Sabbath. Why do we meet on Sunday? Well, you get some references that begin to show up in the New Testament. Luke 24, on the first day of the week, Sunday, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. The primary reason that Christians meet on Sunday instead of Saturday is the celebration of the resurrection, that it's established as the Lord's Day. 1 Corinthians 16, 2 talks about how the people were gathered together on the first day of the week. In fact, 1 Corinthians 16 is that reference from last week about how they were setting aside money on the first day of the week. So they gathered together, they pooled their resources, they worshiped together, and it was happening on Sunday. Revelation chapter 1 when John is giving his revelation, I, John, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. What you fi- and there's another reference in Acts 20, verse 7, that's in very small print because it's kind of a disputed reference, but it may be another example of Christians in the New Testament worshiping on Sunday. And so you have, in the New Testament, this transition that begins to happen where the believers begin to gather together to worship Jesus on the day celebrating his resurrection. But here's the interesting thing. The Jewish followers of Jesus in the early church, they continue to keep the Sabbath on Saturday and gather together on Sunday to worship Jesus. I'm going to say something, and then I'm going to try to explain it so you don't misunderstand me, because this is a misunderstanding that pervades Christianity when it comes to the Sabbath. In the New Testament, Jesus is the New Testament Sabbath, not Sunday. Okay? So theologically, when you look at the scope of Scripture and you think about the way Sabbath works across the Bible, you come to the New Testament, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Sabbath, not Sunday. Here's what I mean by that. Sunday is never in the New Testament never in early Christian theology, it's never portrayed as the carryover where, well, what you did on Saturday before as a Jew, now you do on Sunday as a Christian. That does not happen in the New Testament. That's not how it works. What happens is Jesus comes as the perfect fulfillment of the Sabbath promises. And so every good thing is contained in him. He doesn't say, take your Sabbath regulations and now move them to Sunday. He doesn't say that. He says everything the Sabbath represented was found complete in me. And so you gather around to worship me, and you do that on the celebration of the resurrection. And so I don't want you in your mind to think, okay, well, the Jews did Saturday, so we're supposed to do Sunday. It just doesn't work like that in the New Testament. That's not the way you see the the idea laid out. What do you see? What you see are two patterns And I think I put these on your notes, but I want you to see these two patterns about about how this works out. The first pattern, oh wait, I missed an important verse in Paul. Go ahead to Romans, sorry. Let's get these verses really quick because this will make sense in the next part. Romans chapter 7, as Paul is explaining the relationship of the Old Testament law to Christianity. Now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Then in Romans 14, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. 
what you see developing there in Romans and what Paul's addressing, for some people, the idea of holding on to the Sabbath was a very important part of their following Jesus, their being a part of the people of God. Other people said Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath. We're not gonna continue to follow those regulations, but we are gonna worship him, and it was beginning to cause a split. And Paul says that understanding of a particular day misses the point, and it's not meant to divide you. And so he begins to address that. Now we jump to Hebrews chapter four. If you've got your phone or your Bible open, turn to Hebrews chapter four, because this is where we find, if you're new to the Bible, if you're unfamiliar with how to work that, or, or you've got your phone in front of you, Hebrews is a little bit further in the New Testament. You're getting closer to the end of the Bible. Hebrews lays out what it means for Jesus to be the fulfillment of the Sabbath, not, not for Sunday to be that. So we're going to pick up at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 4, and what we're looking for is this pattern of already not yet, already not yet. You could write already not yet over top the New Testament, and that would take care of most of your theology, but we'll, we'll explain it in just a second. Hebrews 4, therefore, while the promise of entering God's rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Okay, those verses right there are pointing back to an Old Testament story about the people failing to trust the Lord and so not being able to enter the promised land. So the writer of Hebrews is picking up on that idea and he's transferring it forward to the people of God in the New Testament. What does this mean about following Jesus? Although at the end of verse three, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. So there is some sort of rest that God has provided that certain people will not be able to enter. That's what the author is dealing with here. Verse six, but since therefore it remains for some people to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day called today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So an opportunity still exists to enter that rest. Verse eight, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested, already happened, has rested from his works as God did from his. Okay, what do those verses mean? Well, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Hebrews is saying that when God established rest at creation, that was his purpose for his people. Sin, disobedience, lack of faith destroyed that plan, but God made a way to restore everything good in Christ. And so when you put your faith in him, you experience the rest that God created you for. 
to live in his perfect world according to his plan, according to his purposes. That can already be true in your life when you trust in Jesus Christ. But not yet have we experienced all that that's going to be like. What's the not yet? It's eternity. It's heaven. That perfect rest that is provided by God for all of eternity. But it's already possible for the people of God. What does that mean in my life right now? Well, there's a second pattern that I put on your notes. And the second pattern says that we work from rest, not to rest. This is the idea that if you have six days of work leading up to a day of rest, you're trying to survive those six days of work just to get to that point of rest. But here's the cool thing about Jesus and the New Testament. Rest has broken into a broken world. Rest has come to us now. And so how Christianity works is we don't rest on the seventh day, we rest on the first day, which is found in Christ, and then our work flows from that. So this is the difference between I just have to survive work so I can get to the weekend versus I have everything good in Christ. He has given me perfect rest in him, so I'm going to live my life flowing from that rest, not trying to get to the rest. Because if you live your life always trying to work in order to gain God's favor, always trying to work to gain God's rest, you're laboring for something that you can never gain for yourself. But what has happened is Jesus has purchased that perfect forgiveness and rest. And so we rest in him, not to be lazy, but then to live our lives fully from him. So we work from rest, not toward rest. And that leads us to a couple of principles on how we live our lives as believers. First, the idea of Sabbath should drive us to rest in Christ, to remember the gospel, and to be refreshed for what he wants for us. That doesn't happen every seventh day. That happens every morning of your life. Rest, remember, refresh, start your day. You rest in Christ, and he leads you through your day. Number two, we have to set something aside in order to pick it up again. If you refuse to practice Sabbath, what you're doing is saying, I'm in charge of the world. I'm in charge of my life. Sabbath says, I'm going to put this to the side, and the world's going to continue to rotate, unless the eclipse causes something bad to happen. But it's not, so don't worry. The world's going to continue to go on. When I set it aside in Sabbath, I say, I don't have to touch that. God's still in control. I can lay my head on my pillow because he is sovereign. He's in control. The third thing is that then we gather together regularly for worship and community. Some people are convicted that they need to gather on Saturday because that is the Sabbath day established in Scripture. Some people say it doesn't matter if you gather on Saturday or Sunday. Some people are convicted in their heart, I need to gather on Sunday to worship because I'm remembering the resurrection. The key is, do you have rest in Christ, and are you living from that rest, and are you gathering together with other believers? Now, this whole topic of Jesus being the fulfillment of the Sabbath and understanding that rest, it has tons of implications for our lives, tons of practical points. And some of this comes down to whether or not you esteem one day higher than another, or in your conscience all days are essentially the same. Here's what I've done. 
I've broken down in some detail some practical application. I'm going to read a little bit of that to you right now, uh, but because of time, we don't have a chance to expand that this morning, and it, it wouldn't be something easy to listen to. But I am going to send that out in an email this week. And so if you receive those weekly emails, I'll send out some of the practical applications of what does it mean for Jesus to be our Sabbath. If you don't receive those emails and you just want to write your email address and name on one of those cards in the seat back and put that in the offering plate, even if you're not a part of Emmaus, if you never intend to come back here again, but you'd be curious to get that, that list, I'd love to be able to send that to you this week. But how do we work out some of the, uh, some of the aspects of this? I just want to give you a couple of, couple of examples. Let's say that you're a person who is strict toward the Sabbath. My suggestion to you, if, if you have a very strict view of the Sabbath, it's very hard theologically to say, I hold a strict view of the Sabbath and yet not bring all of the Old Testament law to bear on that idea. So in other words, if Jesus has fulfilled the law and rest is found in him and you continue to hold to a strict Sabbath, you've got to be very careful how you're doing that because what you're really doing is you're picking and choosing certain parts of the Old Testament law to hold on to, and you're getting rid of others. Got to be careful on that. How do, we, how do we approach that? Also being careful not to divorce the Sabbath from the rest of your week. If you, re if you take a Sabbath, and you're strict about it, and you fret and worry all day, it wasn't really a Sabbath. The Sabbath is about trust. The Sabbath is about remembering the gospel. The Sabbath is about being restored to do God's work. If you take a day off and you fret and worry all day, that really wasn't keeping the Sabbath. The other thing I would say, if you have a strict view of the Sabbath, and, and I'm not condemning this, I'm saying some people in their heart hold a strong conscience about this. If that's your case, you have to be so careful about being judgmental towards certain groups of people. It's hard to hold a strict view of the Sabbath and then go out to eat and ask someone to work for you and serve you. It's hard to hold a strict view of the Sabbath and then enjoy college sports on Saturday and professional sports on Sunday. I'm not despising in that. I'm just saying in your conscience, if you hold to a strict view, we've got to understand how all those things come to bear on this. Am I resting in Christ or am I really focused more on just a particular day or a tradition? Now let's say you have a very loose view toward the Sabbath. You're pretty open on this idea. What are some things that would be helpful? The one is you cannot despise God's pattern of rest and work. If you work every day to avoid the realities of life, or you work every day to avoid your family or avoid having to deal with certain things in your life, that is not the pattern that God has laid out for you in Scripture. It's rest and work, and we work from that place of rest. We have to be careful about saying every day is God's because pretty soon, what we really mean is every day is mine. <laughs> every day is God's, so I don't have to ever take a break or take a day off. Pretty quickly turns into every day is mine. What about the question of sports or kids' activities or working on Sunday? How do we, how do we handle that? If you have a loose view of the Sabbath and, and you're involved in activities on, the, on Sunday or however that works out in your family— Remember that you're not a victim of the local sports league, and your family is not being persecuted because you showed up to a game on Sunday. That was your choice. If you begin to play the victim card, it begins to teach your kids that their obedience to the Lord is dependent on the circumstances and decisions of the people around them. 
if you feel like, hey, this is something we need to do, this is something we're going to be engaged in because we want to be on mission, then by all means, go and do it. But don't blame the sports league that you had to show up on Sunday. It's not their fault. It's, it's your choice. And don't be surprised if failure to rest or irregular gathering for worship begins to lead your kids to devalue the things of the Lord. Once again, that's not the sports league's fault. That's just us saying, I'm going to take responsibility to shepherd the hearts of my kids. If God's called you to be on mission and those opportunities, by all means, go and be on mission. Do that, resting in Christ, but don't blame somebody else for that decision. Take responsibility. Show your kids, hey, we're going to do this, but we're going to do this from a point of resting in Christ. If you have to work on Sunday, guess what? Join all the early Christians in the first century church. They worked on Sunday too. That was the reality of the world in which they lived. But that did not prevent them from gathering for worship. That didn't prevent them from gathering in a community. That didn't prevent them from resting in Christ. They were doing what was laid out in front of them, but they were doing it from this perspective of resting in Christ. Here's how I want us to, to finish this morning. And there's a lot more application you can do, and I'll be glad to send that out. But we're going to wrap up. I want to show you a verse on the screen because this is at the core of understanding the idea of Sabbath. How do we use our time? Remember Hebrews 4, 7. God appoints a certain day, calling it today. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, now is the day of salvation. If you're here this morning, and God is calling you to find rest in Christ, don't do that tomorrow. Do it today. If God is calling you to respond and say, I need to take that step toward baptism, take that step today, not, not tomorrow. If God is calling you to do something in reference to the Sabbath, maybe to begin resting, maybe to begin making a change in your schedule, make that decision today. We have today. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. What are you going to do today? Here's how we're going to wrap up our service this morning. I'm going to pray for us. After I pray for us, we're going to sing one psalm together. While we stand and sing that psalm, we're going to pass the offering plate around. If you have one of those guest or prayer cards, if you'd like that email I'm going to send out this week, you can place it in the offering plate as we're singing this psalm. When this psalm is complete, we're going to have a chance to go outside together, spend time together uh, as a part of the, the car show. But I'm going to stay right in here. And when we sing this song and we're dismissed, if you need to talk to someone about your relationship with the Lord, don't go outside first. I want to be able to talk to you about how God is at work in your life. Let's pray together. We're going to sing. We're going to have the offering while we sing. And then we're going to be dismissed. Father, thank you for the chance to gather this morning. Thank you for the gift of these baptisms. Father, thank you for the example that was set there, the picture of the gospel. Thank you for the time to sing together. Thank you for the time to study scripture together. Father, help us to rest in Christ. We live in a world that is frantic, a world that is busy, a world that's chaotic. People are trying to get ahead every day. And as followers of Jesus, we have an opportunity to show what true rest looks like. That we don't work to gain favor with you but you have given us the gift of life and eternal life and hope, and we celebrate that, that Jesus is taking care of all that. And Father, I pray that we would give ourselves fully to you right now. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.